We just had Joe Warmington on the show who wrote uh, a column for the Toronto Sun talking about how this arrested suspect pulled out a gun out of in the back of a cod, uh, squad car. He is sitting in the back. He's handcuffed, presumably. Looks like he's handcuffed. I think he is. And he just reaches around his waistband and pulls out a gun. Looks like he's dropping it to the floor. Uh, doesn't try and shoot the cops. They managed to get the gun from him. Um, but John Biggerstaff was a police officer. He's a retired homicide detective, and he joins the show right now. John, it's a pleasure to have you on. I wanted to bring you on to get just a little bit of um, background on how something like this could happen. I mean, what goes on after you arrest someone? Well, it's a pretty standard procedure, Kelly. I mean, uh, officers know that upon arrest, they have a duty to search a person. And it's for a number of reasons. And it's A, to make sure that they don't have anything that could assist in their escape. They don't have anything that could cause them or the officers harm and that they're not hiding any evidence that might uh, go towards the crime they've committed. Right. So how long does this pat down take? I mean, is it is it a quick affair? Because something like this getting missed seems like a huge oversight. Uh, I'm not so sure it's an oversight. I mean, every search, you know, policing's not a uh, it's not a pure science. And people have the ability to hide things. You know, the officers are constrained a little bit by the law because when you're in public, the only search you can do is what you refer to as these pat-down or frisk searches. You can't strip search a person out in public. Right. You know, right. It would offend their dignity. Matter of fact, you have to have reasonable grounds to conduct a strip search within a, within a secure police facility. But they, they're given training to conduct these searches in a manner that should allow them to be able to locate those items that I described. If you're arrested, are you, you know, if you're not called, because this is one of the things Joe Warmington was pointed out, uh, pointed out, if you're, if you're not called for a gun charge or something that, you know, you think this person could be involved in criminal activity, I mean, they, they may be being arrested, but there's no gang affiliation that you're aware of. Um, is it possible that you could get put into a, a, you know, handcuffed and put into a police car without getting a pat down? No, you know, the, the procedure works the same for any arrest, whether it's a shoplifter or a simple assault or a weapons call. You don't change the manner in which you conduct the search. Generally, everyone has is handcuffed behind their back. That's to ensure that their mobility is restrained and that they aren't able to access things such as happened in this incident. Uh, but the search is conducted the same way for every arrest. So with this case of this guy having a gun in the car, uh, you know, and police officers sharing it around, what do you think? I mean, it's hard to get into behind the motivation of people sharing this video on because, the, you know, people are people, whether you're a police officer or, or do a different job. You know, not everybody's the same. But is the, do you think the, the larger motivation of sharing this with each other is not to embarrass the other officers, but it's mainly to give people a heads up on how this you know, somebody could presumably pull a gun out of their waistband after they've been frisked while handcuffed? You know, I, I'm not so sure. There's a, there's certainly a shock value in this type of video. It's something we see all the time on social media and in other different instances. Um, you know, human nature tells us that some people would like to be able to be the ones that uh, present it for that shock value. I'm not sure how the video was leaked. You know, Toronto Police has policy and procedures where there's not a lot of people that can access that video. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently they were sharing it between each other, police officers. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure once that somebody had accessed the video, you know, it was copied and it was distributed. I mean, uh, 
uh, policemen are a curious bunch. And um, when they hear of incidents like this, you know, I'm sure they want to access it to see whether or not um, it will enlighten them, you know, to see whether or not they'll, they'll understand was this just a uh, one-off incident that happened because of unusual circumstances or was it a flaw in the training or was it, you know, something on the part of the officers? Um, but, you know, that's, that's a little, little hard to dissect. Do cops have a false sense of security when they put cuffs on a suspect, do you think? Well, they shouldn't. I mean, um, this type of incident is not that uncommon. Really? Because, well, historically it happens that, um, you know, many times a suspect, particularly, you know, uh, people that might be under arrest for possession of a narcotic, they will think that there'd be some value in trying to remove that hidden piece of narcotic and dump it onto the floor of the police car. Mm. I, can, I can tell you that the policy and the procedure is, after you remove somebody who's in your custody from the police car, you have a duty to search that police car. Right. So it's kind of a fruitless attempt to uh, disguise or discard evidence. Right, because they're going to say, oh, it was a setup. Ah, that wasn't me. Yeah. Right. right, but presumably cops already know that is a possibility, so they're searching their car before they go right. out on the road as well. Yes, they search the car before they, they, they start their shift. They search the car after they remove prisoners. They search the car at the end of the shift. So, John, as a retired homicide detective, what's your takeaway from this video? What can we learn from it? Well, I think, uh, you know, the, the benefits of those officers that accessed it and viewed it, of course, might be from that training point where they say, you know, we need to be more diligent. We, meet, we need to make sure that we never fall into that false sense of security. But, you know, a policeman's uh, training and a policeman's instincts generally override that false sense of security, and they're usually very diligent in the, uh, you know, the day-to-day uh, job of policing the streets. Are we, have we arrived at a place where cops uh, feel like they are being so scrutinized uh, that they're worried about being called on, maybe being touching someone inappropriately during a search? Could that be something that needs to be addressed? Well, you know, we talked about the rules in regards to searching, uh, particularly strip searching, which is, is confined to a secure police facility. There has been lots of cases and case law in the country in regards to searches. So, you know, much like everything else they do in, in the world of policing, they, they know they're always under scrutiny, right? So, you know, they're always, uh, they always have to be conscious of it. Is a bigger part of the story the fact that, you know, our, our situation with guns and the availability of guns in the city is uh, just getting out of hand? Because uh, the Toronto Police Association president, Mike McCormick, said that the incident shows how dangerous things have become out there for cops. You know, I, I don't disagree with Mike. I mean, I think that anyone who uh, follows the uh, the news on a day-to-day basis in this city understands that the proliferation of guns is increasing, that, you know, no matter how hard the Toronto police work at eradicating the problem, um, it continues to make front-page news. John, I appreciate your time. As always, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, John. John Biggerstaff is a retired homicide detective just talking about trying to shed some light on what goes on after you are, you know, arrested. Like, who gets patted down? How, you know, quickly does that happen? And how is it possible that someone can end up in the back of a police car after an arrest and have a gun on them? Because the video is circulating now. It was first reported by Joe Warmington of the Toronto Sun, and he's got a column about it. We had him on the program, and just uh, it's a scary thought.